Blog Talk Radio. Take 
the club, original one. Come on, come on, come on. Eat from the town, let's eat from the town, let's eat from How do we be? We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop that we don't stop. You see, it started a long time ago and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child. Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Because we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls. Everyone can wear. Everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and on. We welcome you to Africa on the Move on the 27th day of March 2022. Now, thank you tonight is. South America and the world from Talisul. Yes, we're discussing some articles that were recently published in Talisul as we deal with current events. And we welcome you to come join us by dialing 323-679-0841. Hit 1 and we will acknowledge the last four numbers. This is Africa on the Moon, and we come to give you what you need and not necessarily what you want. We speak true to the powerless and the powerful, and we will continue down that path today as we bring in and introduce our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We welcome everyone again to Africa on the Moon as your host, Brother Africa. We'd like to bring in Brother Haki and welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. And, of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. And certainly one of the reasons why institution building is so, so important is there are some really tumultuous changes taking place in the context of society. And often these kind of changes uh, lead to situations which are unfortunately very, very destructive in nature. And specifically, I'm talking about the inevitability of a civil war in the United States. And I think it's one of those questions that people ask me in terms of my view in terms of what I think about the propensity or the potential for civil war in America. 
And so I, I got to look at it, a question, and this is what I wrote, so I certainly hope those individuals who inquired about civil war uh, would listen very carefully in terms of some of the information I came up with with respect to potential civil war in American, American life. Now, the rightward drift toward civil war in the U.S. seems inevitable, led by a Republican Party that embraces neo-fascism and white supremacy, they have been at the forefront of espousing and supporting views that relegate Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and progressives of every stripe as the enemy. Embracing ideas defining real Americans, they have been able to paint those who oppose conservative orthodoxy as an existential threat to the U.S. Of course, justification for civil war varies according to political affiliation. For the far right, ethnic and religious hatred is justification. The political center holds lack of democracy without means to address systematic inequality makes civil war inevitable, while the left's critique of inequality and colonialism leads them to believe the right strategy to impose additional hardships on the masses compels the left to entertain the possibility. While these views encompass a validation for civil war, history suggests the antecedent of civil war lies in failure of economic development. In the context of U.S., the deindustrialization or shipping of jobs abroad, qualitative easing or printing free money for the rich or tax cuts for the wealthy have created a situation where the economy has been hollowed out and the possibility of legitimate economic growth impossible. The peculiarity of capitalism's structural defects are well known to financial pundits who routinely warn elites of impending doom. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell has been adamant Interest rate increases bringing down prices will have limited success. Success is limited in part by price-to-GDP ratio, where the value of all stocks is determined by investors who buy them, not the interest of the country. High interest rates on U.S. bonds reduces purchases of U.S. bonds, which reduces revenues for the country. Conversely, as interest rates decrease, this increases demand for the U.S. bond, which increases U.S. debt. Now, the reality is U.S. government is powerless to dictate actual interest rates and interest to the people that doesn't do so with anger to capitalists who would, who would lose profits. Now, with this in mind, when we go back to the question in terms of Jay Powell's warning, what is the significance of Jay Powell's warning? Jay Powell's warning is very, very simple. Do not expect economic development anytime soon, if ever. Now, for clarity's sake, I should point out, with respect to debt-GDP ratio, 70% of debt-to-GDP ratio is good. The U.S. currently helps project debt-to-GDP ratio is currently 194%. Of the world generally to industrialized West, the, the GDP-to-debt to ratio is around 95%. So give you some idea just how indebted the United States is. The country, as a result of the, the high debt-to-GDP ratio, the country struggles to make interest payments on its debts, which is fertile ground for civil war. Now, the impact of capitalists undermining the economy to enrich themselves has had devastating repercussions for the populace. According to Marty Toff, economic, insta- economic instability in the U.S. has contributed to a split among the populace consisting of tribal loyalties and sectarianism. Tribalism concerns itself with the question, do minorities have the majority's interests, while sectarianism, specifically embraced by the eco-political elites, hold that anyone who disagrees with the elites are evil. Evil should not be connoted in religious terms, but political terms in which resolution to a political problems can only be resolved one way, the capitalist way. When Trump participated in a conservative gathering in South Carolina, he stated, quote, right-wingers should enter into 
and leap of blood pact and fight central battle against the phantasm, I'm assuming he means specter, of critical race theory as proof of loyalty, end quote. He went on to say, critical race theory is a threat to national survival of the U.S. Now, I'm putting aside this, this, this absurdity aside. The same person who authorized tax cuts of $1.5 trillion for the wealthy ensuring billionaires pay a lower tax rate than the poor workers, a tax rate cut unprecedented in U.S. history, refused to acknowledge his tax cuts for billionaires constitute a real threat to national survival of the U.S. Superimposed upon an effective tax rate, taxes after exemptions of 24% of GDP, the U.S. taxes wealth less than 35 of the most industrial countries in the world. The rapid poverty in the U.S. and the bankruptcy of over 600 large corporations in the U.S. is a testament to who inflicts real harm on the U.S. economy. Point is not to single out Trump for his slide towards civil war because the roots of civil war goes far back. During the evolution of the U.S., establishing the haves and the have-nots have been a constant feature of the U.S. ruling class. Pursuit of this interest of their interests have always involved the scapegoat of indigenous, indigenous people, poor whites, Africans, Mexicans, Japanese, and Chinese. Today's scapegoating is a direct result of economic decline, which which is the consequence of economic decisions by at least inferring their self-interest. I should point out, scapegoating of the population is relatively easy when individuals, particularly on the right, express an infinity for authoritarianism. Authoritarianism personalities show great difference to those in power. When those in power espouse ideas vilifying or characterizing others as the enemy, such assertions tend to be accepted by authoritarian personalities without question. Legitimization of civil war is easy to invoke in a population who is predisposed to think of politics in such a narrow fashion. It is self it is self-evident. Excuse me, it is self-interest of the elites that serve as a catalyst to ensure to endure civil war. And looking at Congress, an institution of the people, the propensity to engage in policy that legitimizes eliminationism of the ethnic groups is directly implicated in enhancing prospects for civil war. Examples abound. Voter suppression of African and Latin people suggest these ethnic groups are not real Americans and showing their victimization by right-wing groups who share in disbelief. Congressional tax on educational expenditures, which makes competing for employment or higher education impossible to achieve, making it easier to blame the poor or ethnic groups for their predicament. Perhaps the most reprehensible is Congress embrace of funding Nazi organizations abroad. Obviously, if Nazi, Nazism if Nazis are legitimate in Ukraine, they must be legitimate in the U.S. Now, the violent strain of right, right-wing groups has, <clears throat> has been concerned with FBI Director Christopher Wray. Unable by law to designate right-wing white terrorists as group, ter- groups as terrorists, the agency tasked combating white, right-wing groups are complicated by the relationship between police and right-wing groups. Two examples. Michael German, a former FBI agent, disclosed white power sympathies are prevalent in police departments in the United States. Strategies normally employed by the FBI to investigate domestic white terrorists is hampered by police informants inside police departments who would reveal to white domestic terrorists identity of the agents. Secondly, recently in Miami, the Miami Herald reported uh, police passing out flyers to citizens, uh, (coughs) allegedly showing citizens how to dispute minor traffic tickets. However, the web address was altered by leaving out hyphens, thereby directing them to Trump's online store where hats, shirts, flags, and videos could be purchased. Apparently, high up the police chain of command, 
The acronym Make America Great Again, or M-A-G-A, resonated. By the way, M- Make America Great Again harkens back to an earlier age where political oppression ensured the negation of civil and human rights. In addition, challenges of combating right-wing, white violence, right-wing, white, right-wing violence is complicated by powerful elites who embrace fascism and the elimination of perceived enemies. Standing prominently among this group are right-wing political members who openly advocate for the elimination of progressives. Vic Scott, Republican of Florida Senator, has invoked, quote, the left-wing is the, is the enemy, end quote. Ron DeSantis, Republican governor out of Florida, went a step further declaring, quote, we want a president who will fight. He did not say oppose the left. His use of the phrase fight the left was one of those dog whistles that right-wingers are well acquainted. Now, just how credible is civil war in the U.S.? Well, according to many historians, the number of individuals to ignite civil war lies somewhere between 500 to 5,000 people. According to the University of Virginia poll, most Trump supporters, 50% of them, favor secession from the U.S. Secession is, is impossible without violence. If the members hold about 30 million are willing to employ violence to obtain a political objective of furthering white supremacy in hope of a better economic future. If Chauncey DeVegas characterization of fascists as intellectuals, psychopathic, excuse me, psychopathic, or as kisses of, of wealthy people and insecure, outcomes of capitalism exposure, I would have to concur. Civil war is inevitable. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we are going to Brother Anthony, and we'll welcome him to Africa on the moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. A revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father and Brother Anthony, we will bring in Brother Moses, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Uh, welcome, Brother Moses, to Africa on the Moon. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is its messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse direct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I I believe that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I support the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be the, to overcome the lies and the misinformation and the, the info wars or whatever um, that, that uh, the right wing is perpetuating and to show that socialism is the answer for the world today. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we'll go to Sister Eleanor, and we'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Sister Eleanor. 
Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists in our listening audience. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's program, Brother Africa. I'd like to also bring to the attention of our listening audience the struggle, the humanitarian struggle that the people of Yemen are facing, the struggle of the Palestinians against Israeli apartheid the struggle in Somalia with U.S. drone attacks. We just want to stand up and remind the world peace and Mother Earth are calling for our help. And revolution is the answer. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. I believe we have Brother Maurice on the line, call 0673. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. This is Kevlon. This is Maurice. I just listen. Brother Kevlon, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fine, and I'll jump in as the time allows. So go ahead and continue the program. Okay. Now listen, audience. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. And if you define it, we're going to stand behind it. We're going to take a revolutionary cultural break, and when we come back, we want you to join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be back in three minutes or so. This is Africa on the Moon. Tu 
baje choke ubaguzi wa kabila eh eh tunane tupeane mawazo tutaje maiti yetu gongo gongo eh tuepuke vita tutatae vita choki na fitina ili gongo yende mbele Africa nzima mama 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 eh oh nalelie mama discussing what's going on in your world and the community. Before we do that, I'd just like to make um, a couple quick announcements in terms of some historical dates that's important to our people's history. As you know, on the 27th day, on the 27th of this month, on March, back in 1977, Shirley Grand Bois, she was author and pan-Africanist. She died on this particular day in the year 1977. And yesterday, on the 26th, I want to remind you that the great revolutionary Pan-Africanist, our brother, Ahmed Sekou Toure, died in 1984. He made a transition. Well, I just would like to remind you about some importance of brothers and sisters who have made that contribution to our people movement and liberation and should never be forgotten. So that's our little history date for today. And at this point in time, Brother Africa is going to bring back the political panelists and analysts for today, and you can participate as well by calling in at 323-679-0841 and share with us if you're in Africa, if you're in Asia, if you're in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, North America, Europe, wherever you are, if you want to give us an update of what's going on in your community and your world, please do so by contacting us at 323-679-0841. So let's get started with Brother Haki. As usual, Brother Haki, talk to us what's going on in your world and the community. Well, Brother Africa, you know, we can't have any real discussion in terms of the problems that permeate society 
but also some discussion around the uh, hypocrisy that exists in society. You know, often people call America the land of hypocrisy, and certainly when you look at the kind of things that go on in society, it's very, very clear that this charge of hypocrisy is justifiable. And in any event, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, recently, Yale Law School conducted a seminar on free speech in America. Or what took place in the seminar, according to conservative pundits, was not only inappropriate, but typical of liberals as it pertained to free speech in the U.S. Apparently, some vocal law students expressed this to me at what they perceived as lack of humanity exhibited by conservative values. Law students proceeded to talk over invited guests in the midst of their presentations. One speaker, presumably from the right, Alliance Defending Freedom, a conservative Christian legal um, advocacy group, and the other speaker representing the American Humanist Society, presumably the liberal, were berated for what some students perceived as indifference to life, communicated on placards uh, denouncing facets with the motto, Be Less Mean. Conservative sexist behavior by the students as an affront because the law students participating in the protest represented theoretically the best and brightest a society has to offer. These students who are fast-tracked to be captains of industries, uh, CEOs of large corporations, head of large legal firms, and leading political figures, betrayal of their birthright represents the worst kind of class betrayal, which could only be manifest itself among liberals in the minds of conservatives. Many conservatives insisted this kind of anti-freedom rhetoric in the form of protest is consistent with liberals who oppose freedom. Of course, the freedom conservatives espouse is relevant to the ruling class only, where the rights of the welfare supersedes all other expectations, including the right to resist exploitation of one's person. In a more general sense, the freedom espoused by progressives engenders a society where constraints, be they economic or political, that limits human development be removed from the, from, from, for the good of society. In this regard, most conservatives unequivocally oppose democratic freedoms because it opposes their collective, their class interests and the need to control. Now, a brief cursory expedition of ruling class rejection of baller-based freedom is easily discernible in the U.S. In 1949, the Fairness Doctrine evolved in part because of ideological struggles the economic elites opposed. Concepts like communism, socialism were routinely demonized, but the realization that these ideas may germinate with the majority compelled political elites to formulate strategies that would discredit both systems while presenting an air of respectability. And in time, the Fairness Doctrine evolved, allowing for more controversial subject matter discussions ultimately culminating in subject matters that took on society's biggest taboos. For example, questioning the origin of, of the U.S., <clears throat> um, uh, political elites claiming the U.S. democracy was challenged, along with rationale of poverty in the U.S. Conservative critics of fairness doctrine raged. The doctrine legitimized misinformation, and this claim <laughs> persisted throughout the 80s. By the time Ronald Reagan's election uh, complaints of free speech violations of the U.S. Constitution and its impact on reducing profits led by conservative groups ensured Reagan would end the Fairness Doctrine despite opposition from both Democratic and Republican lawmakers of, of both houses. Going with the Fairness Doctrine was the obligation to present both sides of controversial subjects. Information the masses depended on would no longer be available. Instead, the marketplace would decide the content of information disseminated and information that negatively affects profits had to be abandoned. The consequences being, as society becomes more complex, information needed to make sense of the complexities were denied the masses uh, access to information because prof prof profitability is easy to obtain when the population is uninformed. 
Now, the elimination of fetish doctrine impact is visible for all to see. In hindsight, Reverend Jerry Falwell's more majority reason, in order to perpetuate a history, a history erroneously concocted, books that question the approved narratives by the ruling class must be eliminated from libraries and ultimately destroyed. This sentiment has ominous, impl- ominous implications of coming from a reverend of a large church are truly uh, dystopian. Now, dystopian uh, declarations did not die with Falwell, but it persisted today with chilling ramifications. According to the Pen American Report, a nonprofit promoting freedom of expression and literature, quote, 156 educational gag order bills in 39 states have been introduced since January 2021. 12 educational gag orders have, have become law in 10 states. 113 other educational gag orders are pending in 35 states as of March 2022. The report concludes seven states have banned critical race theory. Ironically, critical race theory, which originated for, from law school curriculum, is, is, is generically used to embody in any teaching that institutions play in facilitating racism. It has been alleged the Far Right Heritage Foundation has published material online educating parents how to spot critical race theory in their children's curriculum. In a country that proclaims to be fair and free, how can any of these strategies be justified? The systematic dumbing down the population can only result in more confrontation, injustice, and strife. Perhaps that is the plan. While more division in society will be achieved, the level of hypocrisy utilized to form a division will do nothing to preserve a decaying system. Unlike European leaders who call for a democratization and budget project treaty to reimagine economic and social life so as to avert civil war in Europe, European states, U.S. leaders are content to sow the seeds of destruction using capitalism to lie and distort the machinations of institutions whose, objective, whose objectives have been realigned for the purpose of extracting maximum profits from an alienated and suffering population. No amount of concession can hide the inhumanity of its rulers, nor can the hypocrisy. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to make our transition from Brother Haki to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Anthony. Notable events. Uh, African youth at home on the continent have uh, been critical of uh, uh, EU policy toward the Ukraine. And... um, you know, it seems like they're critical of uh, uh, the differential uh, treatment uh, Ukrainians are getting versus other victims of warfare around the world. And, uh, and uh, that has come up in several different uh, parts of Africa regarding uh you know the um uh you know the uh refugee policy of the EU and the US as regards to the Ukrainian victims of the Russia Ukrainian uh war uh and uh so it is uh it is noticed that uh that uh the uh these youth seem to have a keen knowledge of current events and recent 
uh, world history. Also, uh, uh, the British uh, royal family, uh, Prince William and uh, Princess Kate, visited Jamaica recently, in which they uh, 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 government officials and um, uh, protesters in Jamaica protested uh British policy uh uh toward uh, Jamaica and they raised the issue of reparations uh for the sufferings that Africans in Jamaica have suffered as a result of the Maafa and uh chattel slavery. And uh and this part um uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, uh, political controversy uh, among the British royal family in terms of how they were were received in Jamaica. Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, we're going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, Yesterday uh, evening, they were at St. Stephen's Church in Washington, D.C., uh, 16th and Newton Street, Northwest. There was a, a forum, uh, a couple of speakers, uh, Alexandra Garcia of the Cuban Embassy and Dr. Samir Audrey of the Latin American School of Medicine, an ELAM graduate, 2020, um, spoke, and it was very well received, very well attended and uh, a successful outing. Uh, um, meanwhile, the Trump is still trying to re- regroup and, and uh, reorganize his people. Um, Clarence Thomas's wife evidently is some kind of big Trump supporter, and uh, she, she uh, was trying to get the the election overturn and uh, and uh, the Biden's election overturn and she evidently was tweet um, texting them that um, this is war and war has no rules and so she was would do anything and everything in her power to uh, to uh, perpetuate the class struggle objectives she had and uh, I. I it's interesting that Clarence Thomas uh, uh, is is the conservative that he is, and uh, um, this is this is a this is a real real uh, threat to civil war in the U.S. debate. And uh, meanwhile, um, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, uh, last night, um, as Brother Moses said, um, the charge attaché to the Cuban embassy, Alejandro Garcia del Toro and Dr. Shamira Audrey, were at St. Stephen's Church while we celebrated the 60s third anniversary of the Cuban Revolution, which was January 1st, 1959. Um, 
this was a fantastic event. There were more than uh, the, the estimates are there were between 106 and 108 people there. It was organized by the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Uh, it's a locally based coalition comprised of several so- social justice organizations committed to um protecting the beneficial changes the Cuban Revolution has brought to its people. The DCMS supports Cuba in solidarity to end restrictions on all travel to Cuba, to halt the U.S. uh, economic war against Cuba, the embargo, to stop the illegal occupation of Guantanamo Bay, just to name uh, a few things. In addition, um, the most important thing is the travel ban, but the medical school, the fact that it offers scholarships to so many who would otherwise not be able to attend medical school is phenomenal, phenomenal. and that's the Latin American School of Medicine. In addition, the Malcolm X drummers and dancers performed, as well as uh, Lucy Murphy and the Black Workers Central Chorus. So, it was a a wonderful event. Meanwhile, uh, the struggle uh, against Israeli apartheid continues as the U.S. occupies a portion of the Syria, Syria's oil fields and Israel attempts to move towards them. We also see the refugee problem and the problem with starvation in Yemen Afghanistan is going unnoted, and we see fascism on the rise. Not only Bolsonaro, but we are about to, Brother Africa, talk about the situation in Uruguay and uh, the horrible dictatorship there, but how the people are standing up. So uh, thank you so much. I look forward to this evening's discussions and uh, uh, that wraps it up for what's going on in my world. Thank you, Sister Alan Norwich, our listening audience. This is Africa on the Moon. We basically, basically, we are talking about what's going on in your world and community. If you have something to say, you would like to share, share your thoughts on what's going on, feel free to call us at 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So right there, we're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we will continue discussing what's going on in our world and the community. This is Africa on the Move. Don't you? 
We're in the seat. We take the heat. As you sign it, we're going to stand behind it. Before we went on our break, we said we'll come back and continue this discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. I would like to engage my political panel analysts on a couple of things that I noticed but for the past week or so. And I'm just wondering, maybe um, I'm not seeing things correctly. And I would like to get their interpretation and their analysis on certain phenomena that are taking place as relates to African people and people who are oppressed by the U.S. capitalist system, by the imperialist system, by all these various systems that practice racism, exploitation, and oppression. Um, panelists, uh, maybe um, I know they have different ways of sending messages to the world and to our people. And I'm just wondering if any of you have had a chance to observe or see some clippings of this uh, Supreme Court hearing that's going on to nominate or confirm this African sister to become the next so-called um, judge on the Supreme Court of the U.S. The way they demean her and talk to her. I mean, what do y'all make of that, that, that demeanor, that attitude, that like they treat her like she's a, she's a scum of the earth, Brother Haki? What is the message that they're trying to send to the world, to us, and anybody else? What is your thoughts on the way they're dealing with this system? And why aren't we putting up some kind of resistance and demand to be treated with some sense of dignity? I mean, if she acquires a seat like that and she's treated like that before she acquired that seat, how much they bear to really respect her? And how much power does she really have if they can treat her like that before she even acquired that particular seat? Brother Hackey, what is the message here from your perspective? Well, yeah, well, I, I, I think the point is to demonstrate that in their eyes, uh, she, she doesn't enjoy the kind of prestige and uh, esteem, you know, most would, uh, most, uh, would uh, enjoy in terms of being, uh, you know, put in that kind of position. So I think the, the, the intent is, 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 is always, in the context of American politics, is always to uh, present the other. So I think in terms of, in terms of the manner of disrespect, uh, you, know, uh, you know, given to the system, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, listen, because it doesn't matter how much education she has, how bright she is, how hardworking she is, because none of that really matters. Ultimately, what it comes down to is the color of her skin. So I think the politicians sort of want to communicate to their to their to uh, their uh, to their to their, to their, uh, to their, to their voter to their fan to their voter base, uh, you know that uh, they pretty much uh, you know are, 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 are doing the bidding of, of the public at large in terms of demonstrating the kind of contempt uh, that they have for you know people of color, irrespective of their irrespective of educational achievement and so forth and so on. So I think it's just more of the, more the same, Brother Africa. I think it's, it's nothing new. It's to be expected. I didn't expect anything differently uh, because the whole point was that, you know, let's, uh, the, the, the idea of this sister being in on the Supreme Court and have that kind of autonomy uh, in which, you know, uh, is a lifetime of, um, is a lifetime appointment, 
So the odds of her being removed from that position are slim to none. So of course, given that kind of uh, you know you know getting that kind of being put in that kind of position, uh, given that kind of prestige and honor in terms of setting on the Supreme Court, then it doesn't set well with a lot of a lot of more conservative uh, uh, Republicans who have a very difficult time in terms of recognizing achievement of African people across the board. So for me, brother Africa, it's just part and parcel. Of politics in America, so I was. It was to me, it was something surprising. I had expected. I expected it. Brother Anthony, um, this particular um, act reminded me of the movie Guess Who Come to Dinner. You have somebody that got twelve thousand degrees, and the best you can do is come to the table and sit down to eat with someone. Your analysis on how they treating this young lady, um, brother Anthony. Actually, I concur with the observations uh, Brother Haki made, and that it is uh, disrespectful, especially since it's done in the presence of her parents. And, uh, you know, but uh, I think uh, uh, that is reflective of a, a, a of a double standard that has existed uh for Africans in the US uh since uh then of the Civil War. We're held to higher standards of conduct and uh expe- uh, uh, are expected to tolerate more than uh than uh uh than our European counterparts in similar positions. That's double standard uh, uh, permeates every profession in the U.S. And uh, this is no different, unfortunately. I think it might be an eye-opener to some African youth who might have thought that... um, you know, with the uh, election of uh, the first uh, admittedly African uh, president of the U.S., that things might have changed somewhat. But this is a reminder for those who might have thought that, uh, uh, you know, being in the highest power circles, uh it 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 doesn't make a difference. We're still powerless because we're disorganized as a people, primarily, and we don't have any political power because we do not control any resources that are needed by uh European counterparts. So we can we continue to get disrespected, regardless of what position we find ourselves in in society. Talk to me, brother Moses. Talk to me. What's your take on the right. behavior of how they treat this young lady? Well, I I think the way that Kentaji. Brown Jackson is being treated is uh, 
I agree with Brother Haki. I'm sorry, Brother Africa. Did you say Brother Moses or? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it, was my, it was my mistake, but you go ahead and take it. We'll come back to Brother Moses. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sister Eleanor. Um, um, she is, as Brother Haki and Brother Anthony stated, her her treatment is based not only on her race, but also her gender. And uh, when you look back at uh, Bert Kavanaugh and you look at the recent appointees like Amy uh, Barrett, you, you, you wonder, you can see clearly the racism and the disdain that they have for this woman. I mean, she was crying on the podium. Now, Kavanaugh did those things, but he had a woman who he had raped to come, a medical doctor come and give testimony that she had been raped by him. And and this woman is not a criminal. She has no accusations of violence against women or children or any human being. It is simply her race as an African-American and her gender as a black woman that allowed her to be treated in such an ill fashion. And it's a disgrace for this country. It shows how ignorant the men who hold those seats are that they would behave in such a fashion. It, it, it was really outrageous. Um, you know, like you said, this is a, a job for life. The Supreme Court reflect pattern. The seven current judges all worked as uh, corporate lawyers at some point. Um, uh, Kavanaugh uh, spent the summer at the firm where uh, uh, Judge Jackson had worked in Boston. Uh, so it really speaks to the reality of the poor and the powerless, as Brother Anthony said, you know, and that's the bottom line. We're without power and therefore without respect. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, talk to me. Yeah, um, I think everybody everybody's on point. Um, the situation is one that we live in a racist country, and uh, until we um, correct that situation um, with, with a, a non-capitalist economy, um, we're going to continue this kind of racism uh, perpetuated and manifested in the upper echelons of society and the government. Government. We need a political economy that is revolutionary and um and that's anti-racist, anti-sexist, you know, and uh, and, um, and it's in the struggle against Zionism and all the other forms of oppression. And um, but yeah, um, they treated her like you know, like uh, she was a second-class citizen or, or suspect anyway. And um, and uh, uh, hopefully, you know, she will be confirmed. Um, but you know the. The damage is done. Thank you. Brother Anthony, you know, they tell me sometimes this world is like a jungle and make you wonder how you keep from going under. I was reading some articles earlier um, the other week on Africa at home, and it had a real interesting statement about the amount of gold 
and gold reserve that the government of Ghana actually owns or controls. And all the gold that is found in Ghana and is deposited there, they only own or control 2% of it. I think it says something about the Congo, maybe about 10% is owned and controlled by the indigenous people there. What's going on? What's wrong with this story, Brother Anthony? How do the gold that you own, you set on, you don't control it at all? You don't own it at all? Uh, That is is reflective of the neocolonial state of both Ghana and and, uh, Congo. And uh, and uh, and it's a situation that Nkrumah, uh, the former prime minister of Ghana, had warned about uh, uh, doing his tenure in power before he was overthrown. That if Africa did not unite uh, uh, politically and uh, take control of its economic resources, then, uh, then that would be its fate. And, uh, and it has indeed come to pass. Uh, most of the 50, almost all the 54 countries that, uh, that make up Africa today are under neocolonial domination which means that their resources are controlled uh, from outside against uh, the well-being of the masses of the people that live in those countries. And uh, that is what is happening. And the only way to overcome that is uh, Pan-Africanism the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Capitalism cannot be the answer to our problems. One, uh, one because uh, the existing capitalists will not allow any new players at the table, for one. And another, capitalism got us in the state we're in presently. So it cannot be the solution to our problems. And uh, we have to organize. And the fact that, that, uh, that, 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 that Africa controls so little of itself, uh, of its resources, uh, is, uh, you know, reflects in the poverty suffered by the masses of African people. That is why uh, why 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 Africans are poor today. It's not the land that is poor; it is that we are poorly organized and disunited. But Haki, Ghana is yeah. part of the empire. The Ghana Empire, gold, the Gold Coast. How can you sit at the feet at your feet? Tons and tons of natural valuable resources, and you only own and control two percent of it. Talk to me. What's going on? You know, brother Africa. The, the, the final analysis is that you know when, when we break it all down, we have to understand there's a certain amount of complicity that goes on with respect to 
the uh, the elite in African societies in their uh, collusion, or they're working with the West in terms of, you know, uh, engaging in all kind of deals uh, to the detriment of Africa. And so when we talk about the fact that you talk about all this gold that Ghana own, only owns two percent of its own gold, uh, it's a direct the direct result of deals being made by certain Ghanaians, you know, who profit at the expense of of of, of the country of Ghana. So this is a histor- this is a historical problem, and throughout throughout Africa, uh, the reason why the West is able to perpetuate that kind of misery and suffering in Africa is because you got those African leaders who are willing to play ball, along providing that they get a piece of the pie. They don't care about their countries or their people or any of that stuff. They only care about themselves. So unless you innovate uh, some type of uh, a, 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 a strong system to combat that, in particular. Not just a strong system in the context of you know uh, you know state to state, but a strong system you know collectively in terms of combating that kind of thing. Uh, it's it's going to continue. And one of the things we talk about the the problem in terms of disappearing gold in Africa, we talk about like something like three hundred four hundred metric tons, three hundred four hundred thousand metric tons of gold a year disappear out of Africa. Where does it go? Well, it can only if they only can take it out of Africa, uh, uh, they have to have uh, some connection. The people in the West. I have to have some connection with those 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 leaders inside of Africa to make that possible. Otherwise, you can't you can't export that that amount of gold and 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 and, and not be and not be caught. So clearly, there's a lot of there's a lot of collusion, there's a lot of um, duplicity, a, a lot of well, a lot of duplicity in terms of a lot of wrongdoing that's taking place with respect to African leaders. And the question is, of course, you know, uh, without a, a a strong unified system in terms of confronting that that value system. And that's not conceivable to actually stop this kind of thing, which means that Africa will continue to slide economically. And it's unfortunate, but that is that is that is a reality. So one of the things that we have to do is that, you know, first and foremost, as, as P.L. over Lamuma says, we first and foremost, we have to at least talk about it and sort of take a look at ourselves, perform some type of introspection, and say, you know, why is it? Why do we persist on doing what we do? And when we do what we do ultimately leads to our misery and our destruction. So why do we continue to persist in this kind of behavior? So we have to have that kind of discourse back and forth, on and on and on, uh, because until people get the message, you know, that this kind of uh, corruption, this kind of insensitivity, this kind of uncaring for the aspirations and concerns of the people of Africa uh, has, to come to an, has to come to the halt. So the only way we can do that is to have this kind of discussion in terms of Calling people out who engage in this kind of activities, and one of course one of the problems in terms of in terms of human rights, and some of it is also uh, uh, tied to tradition. Uh, in in the context that a lot of times in African context, traditional African life, you don't question authority. So if authority is corrupt, you don't question them. In fact, in a lot of African states, if you question authority, you get yourself locked up simply for question authority. So a lot has to change, but that change to a large extent is going to come about. You know, when you have uh, enough people on the continent more progressive uh, uh, leadership on the continent, you know, to work together in terms of bringing about a, 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 a regress of the uh, systematic issues that are plaguing Africa, uh, starting with the IMF, World Bank, uh, uh, investments, and so forth and so on. So all of that stuff has to be restructured, but you need bona fide revenue-sharing leadership in Africa to make that come about. So until we have that, the West is going to continue to exploit Africa, and unfortunately, corrupt individuals on the African continent are going to participate as long as they feel like they're getting some crumbs off the table. And that's the way it is. So, Eleanor, African people are not poor. They are not poor. Africa's not poor. 
African people are not poor, but they are poorly organized, as Brother Anthony stated. What is your response to this reality? Uh, not only no more than 2% of your own natural wealth in the area of the gold industry. And, and when you think of that, as Brother Haki and Brother Anthony uh, said, Brother Haki talked about people and their own individual goals because Ghana's on the New York goal. Who owns that goal? Apparently not, not, not the country of Ghana and not the people of Ghana. So it's really, it's really phenomenal because we have such a wealthy country, a gold-producing country, the only one that's on, uh, that's actually um, not on the gold exchange, but the only one that's listed um, on the stock market as exchanging gold, and to have such a small amount of gold in their possession. But I don't know what two percent of the gold represents. I don't know what what amount of gold that is. Um, Brother Africa, but I did want to say something, if I can go back to uh, the um, Supreme Court nominee. You know that she attended the same public school in Miami as Jeff Bezos, and if she's appointed, she'll be only the third African-American to ever be appointed to the Supreme Court. And everyone travels the same road. They're either... Uh, corporate attorneys, seven of them work for corporations or they work at the White House or in politics, seven of them sitting did that as well. And she is also a Harvard graduate. The treatment of this woman is outrageous. But to go back to your immediate question about the ownership of gold, I, uh, of Ghana, I do not understand how a nation can own such a limited amount of its natural resources other than that it is a a government uh, a governmental decision that would allow that to happen and how much in, in terms of volume is two percent and what does that recommend re, re, represent to the gross national product of Ghana? I'm I'm not qualified to speak, so if another analyst could weigh in on that, it would help me tremendously. But since I know even for the multi-trillion dollars, it still says something, regardless what the money is. Just to have 2% of your own natural resources in your possession, something's wrong with that picture. True, neocolonialism is the problem. And it's a, a lack of a people-controlled government, a people's-controlled government that you would have this kind of uh, situation. Obviously, some very few people are profiting from this divestment of the Ghanaian people. Something is, is, it, is clearly wrong. And they would make us believe that's the place to be. Hmm. Let's move on. Brother Moses, talk to me, Brother Moses. You do you the man with the master plan. How do we get out of this dilemma, Brother Moses? Talk to me, Brother Moses. Brother Anthony has been stating over and over again we we got to be organized and we need more organization. Uh 
and certainly we have to have an objective of scientific socialism uh, uh and um you know this is uh, this is the answer um um neo colonialism and, and imperialism uh, is running rampant across the globe and right now the the third world and um uh, uh Russia and uh Cuba and Venezuela and different groups are, are forming a, a, a alternative uh, um, political economy uh, uh, um, organization of uh, uh, the Belt Road, um, China's China's uh, economic policy and, and, and uh, objectives are being embraced, and uh, hopefully there's going to be a new new uh, scenario that. Uh, that um, challenges the almighty dollar, and uh, uh, but you know we just got to continue to organize, uh, continue to spread the word, continue to uh, to fight for what is right and what is correct, uh, and just and this is you know this a never ending struggle, and we just got to engage in it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We're going to. One of our listening participants, call 0673, 0673, your thoughts and comments. The mic is yours, 0673. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, can you hear me, brother? Yes, we can. Can you hear me, Lee? All right. Well, yes, we can. This, this story about the gold, it's, it's an old story. It's old, so it's not new. To deal with the diamonds. If you look at that documentary about the Zabir diamonds, diamonds aren't rare. There's plenty of diamonds in Africa. They create this rarity by putting on a few on the market, right, which will rise the price up. So uh, I don't take the position that it's the Africans that's causing this. Number one, you have to have machines to extract the minerals from the earth, and that's most likely in the hands of the West. You've got to have a distribution system like you're doing when you're selling books or something. You've got to have somebody that's going to distribute. You've got to have a distribution system. You also have buyers. So let's say you have some buyers in the West or in Asia that want to buy the, buy, um, buy the gold. You've got those in the West that can create blockades to stop you from um, exchanging your goods with other other nations, right? But the point is, that this is not something new. It's the same thing with the diamonds. It's, 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 there's plenty of diamonds. You can ask the same question, why if there's so many diamonds over there, then why is it that y'all have these problems? Because we don't control the, the machines to extract the mineral out the ground. We don't control the distribution process. We don't control, um, um, block the waterways that can stop people from trading with us or allow them to trade with us. So there are multi- uh, uh, factors to take in consideration. And then, then Africa itself being participated, that might be part of it, but the overall part, I think, is those that got the, the, the power to um, for machines and stuff to extract it out the, out, the, out, the, um, out the ground and not leave the machines in the hands of those Africans or Africans themselves not producing machines to get the mineral, mineral out, the, out the ground. So it's a, it's a, it's a multi- um, um, factors that created the situation. Point well, Ray Color, we think. 
Thank you very much. Um, what I would like to do at this point in time, before we make our transition to our theme tonight and deal with some of our current events, articles as it relates to our theme, South Africa, I mean, South America and the world from Talasul. That's our theme tonight. But before we do this, we'd like to engage our political panelists with one more issue of just observation and trying to get some understanding. And in this scenario, when we talk about neocolonialism, our people need to know what it looks like. I will argue that a good example of neocolonialism, you don't have to go a thousand miles away, but you can go right to Washington, D.C. and look at the so-called Black Caucus. Recently, there was articles out talking about how the Black Caucus chose to um, stay in line with the direction, with the order, and with the policies of the present president of this, of this particular country. Mine. They took a position to be anti-Russia, pro-Ukraine, and they voted in, in support of the uh, blockade. They voted in support of sending um, military equipment weapons to Ukraine. They took a position where most Africans around the world who is conscious and knows what's going on is directly in opposition to their position. Panelists, why is it every time when issues that are important to Africa, African people comes up, the Black Caucus has a tendency to vote in opposition to it? What is the relevance of having a caucus that will continue to not to represent the interests of the constituent and the people that they represent? Start off with you, Sister Eleanor, your response. Well, the Black Caucus, as as we as as um, uh, Brother Anthony and Brother Moses and Brother Haki often mention, you know, this is a reformist government. So at most, well, it's not a reformist government, but at most we're going to get because we don't have true revolution is reform. So you see good and bad things coming out of the Congressional Black Caucus. Now, the Congressional Black Caucus did one thing that was good. It created the diversity lottery, which allowed Africans from most of the 54 countries, 55,000 of them, and their families to come per year to the diversity lottery. And they have some opportunities that – uh, the former enslaved people don't have direct access to because of a lack of uh, a variety of factors. Uh, they established the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Uh, that was one of the creations of the Congressional Black Caucus. So um, what you see with this Ukraine movement is a a massive disinformation or oversaturation of the Ukraine and not enough uh, focus on global issues such as the uh, atrocity created by Saudi Arabia and Yemen, uh, not focusing on uh, Israel's apartheid, not focusing on Bolsonaro's uh, atrocities being brought up before the world court, ignoring Haiti's continued repression, 
that it continues to pay for being the uh, first country of blacks to liberate itself in the West. So you you have a group of people that are uh, are passing reform legislation, and this was uh, uh, clearly a mistake. And it was a reactionary movement. And uh, this is why education, uh, not only of our children, but of our people, political and economic education is so important. And we saw in a week 3,000 or more articles published about the Ukraine, and it was seen as heroic. And in effect, what's happening uh, with the Ukraine and Russia is something going on with Russian-speaking people. Uh, the Russian, the Ukrainian museums are filled with Russian art. The U.S. Uh, overthrew uh, an elected Russian president in the Ukraine in the 21st century. So we see people that are uninformed and uh, uh, reacting to the uh, the propaganda of the day or the news of the day. And that's how they voted. It was rapid and fast because this is war. And it was uh, what was a civil war was rapidly being pushed uh, as a NATO Concern and in effect, what the black to do was vote for the dismantlement of NATO because there is no longer a Soviet Union to defend the United States against, and it hasn't been one for over 20 some years. So, we're operating with misinformation, and uh, people are elected to office and don't have to uh, be orient. They don't, the orientation that you receive when you're elected on the Hill to Congress or the Senate is very limited. And you don't get a complete political and economic education. You're elected by your, by the constituents in your, in your voting district. And that's where you're stepping off from. And you may not have a political and economic background. Brother Haki, your assessment on this black caucus thing, all the way out of step when it comes to the interests of our people in Africa. Well, it's it's no coincidence. But let me let me just put this out here. One thing we make this assumption that these people are actually somehow informed, that they don't really quite grasp what's going on. I think they grasp what's going on. I think the problem is that they're opportunistic. We gotta be very, very honest. When we talk about the kind of corruption that's so inherent in terms of this institution called Congress, that these that these black these black folks understand that playing ball is very, very lucrative. So it's in their interest in terms of going along with those positions of power because those positions of power have access to dollars and the dollars. And that's precisely what they want. So one of the things that, you know, if they were really sincere, if they actually took up the banner in terms of what the Congressional Black Caucus is really all about in terms of the empowerment of the powerless, then certainly when you talk about in context of Russia and Ukraine, they were simply able to, they, 
it would have voted number one, they would have voted against funding or providing weaponry to Ukraine. They certainly would have voted to abstain any kind of funding from reaching their hands of the Nazis in Ukraine if, in fact, you know, if they were principled people. So one of the things that at some point these congressional black leaders got to start thinking on a much higher level. In other words, one of the things that when you talk about the oppression African people face here and throughout the diaspora, one of the things that the progressive black caucus can understand that what they do does have implications. And so if you create a scenario which says that uh, when the U.S. does things that are unjust, do things that are unfair, or uh, that adversely impact or potentially adverse, adversely impact African people, and the congressional caucus stand against those measures, then what it does is sends a message to African people throughout the diaspora, you know, that there's some serious change that have to take place. And in, in terms of bringing about that change, there's some understanding that there has to be some critical analysis in terms of the United States' behavior in world affairs. They understand that. Let's, let's, not, let's, not, let's not deceive ourselves. From time to time, they will say some very insightful stuff because they do understand. But I think the biggest problem is because of the pursuit of dollars, which, which, is, which, is, which is what it's all about, uh, sort of uh, causes them, you know, to, to take a step back in terms, as opposed to going forward, in terms of dealing with these very controversial kinds of issues. Uh, you know, so one of the things, um, you know, when you think back to the, to the origin of the, the Congressional Black Caucus, in terms of the kind of radical stance they would take, and which they understood that in taking those, rad those, those radical stances, they understood fundamentally that there was no guarantee, you know, that you're going to be reelected because what's going to happen uh, the people who run against you are going to receive such funding that the probability are that you're going to be defeated. But they did so anyway because the realization that they had the 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 realization that what they were trying to improve improve in terms of the situation confronting you know confronting African people and poor people generally, that mission was so important they were willing to lose that seat because it was a principal thing to do. Fast forward to today, which is a different reality in which you know nobody talks in terms of, in terms of the, the collective. Now it's all about the individual, and to the extent that this society promotes individualism, we cannot lead, delude ourselves into believing that these black folks in the Correction Black Caucus have also internalized this whole notion of individualism, and so therefore they play the game because it's conducive and it's lucrative for them to play the game. So we got to be very very clear on that, and let us not assume. That they're ignorant or they're unaware in terms of what's going on. They understand precisely what they're doing. And one of the reasons why you don't have any kind of real discussions with the Christian Black Caucus, with the African community around these pivotal questions, because they're precisely because they understand that reality. And so, therefore, they're not going to put themselves in a predicament where people can, can, can question, sort of deconstruct, you know, the kind of policies that they, they, they support. Uh, because they understand when people, position, when people deconstruct their policies, it's very, very clear that the opportunism that exists among the Correctional Black Caucus doesn't serve the interests of the community or the people, the constituents they allege to serve. So clearly, uh, Brother Africa, I think we got to be very, very clear when we look at this kind of uh, uh, this, 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 this kind, these kind of moves that made by Correctional Black Caucus, which, seems, which tends to empower the system, then you better understand that they're doing that because of the because of the individual mandate and some benefit to themselves as opposed to benefit to the masses of people. Brother Anthony, talk to me. Yes. Um, let's see. 
the the original Congressional uh, Black Caucus, which was formed in 1971, those political figures that made up that uh, Congressional Black Caucus had more political backbone than the current uh, political leadership that makes up the Congressional Black Caucus today. And uh, and that is because we're too disorganized to hold that leadership accountable for their actions. They're more loyal to the Democratic Party than they are to their constituents. That is why they vote in lockstep with uh, the Biden administration on all of his policies because they lack uh, the political backbone of some of their predecessors, such as uh, Charles Diggs, uh, uh, let's see, and uh, Charlie Chisholm, uh, and, uh, numer- uh, and numerous others. And uh, because we are disorganized, we cannot, uh, we're not in a position to hold them accountable for their actions and for their disloyalty to the African constituency that put them into office. And Brother Moses, your thoughts? I'm just saying uh, we're talking about um, We're talking about the consistency of the so-called black caucus of making decisions always against the interests of Africa and African people. What's up with that? And how that's related to neocolonialism and uh, the new new, uh, imperialism uh, taking its form uh, over um, us as a people. um, the Congressional Black Caucus, you know, like um, Sister Eleanor was saying, it's a, it's a ultimately a reformist organization, and um, um, our problems, you know, ultimately demand revolution. And so we, we're going to always be a certain amount of disappointment. Uh, um, this judge that they're they're nominating. Uh, She's like one out of nine, and and uh, obviously going to be a a, a a lone voice uh, in terms of her perspective, because uh, you know Clarence Thomas and the rest of them are, are so status quo and, and conservative that I, I don't even know what good is doing to put her on there. But anyway, she will be a voice there. Um, the Congressional Black Caucus, you know, it's, a, it's, it's just a reformist organization. We, we there's no way around it. Uh, um, they they become uh, career, career politicians, it seems, and now they're interested in getting reelected and and uh, maintaining their status as as um, as uh, representatives. And getting paid, and so um, I, I I don't see policy can come in. I see money money 
uh, and the influence of money taking over. Um, but hopefully I'm wrong. Um, uh, but we 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 continue the the struggle. Uh, uh, we have to we have to organize independently of of the of the Congressional Black Caucus and the Democratic Party and uh, and organizing uh, and prepare for uh, revolution, and which means we're going to need masses of people to. To take control of the government and uh, and uh, reorganize it, and uh, that's a lot easier said than done. But you know, but that's that's our work that's cut out for us because we can't depend on the Congressional Act Caucus. Thank you. And let's see if our participant today has something to say about this. Call the O six seven three. Oh six seven three, yo. Yeah. The nature of black caucus, black caucus. Yeah, you want to know what side of people don't always trace the money. You gotta remember, we didn't vote for them directly. We vote for them indirectly. That's for Republican, a former government. Is. You vote for them indirectly because I voted directly. I would say uh, Haki or, or Brother Africa or sister on this panel, but we voted for them indirectly. And when we did, we voted for Republican or Democrat. So. That's what at least they're like the buffer. They're like the buffer, and um, and and they they're doing what their education um told them to do, and that's well, what what do you expect? I mean that that's 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 what it is. What do you expect? We avoid Republican or Democrat, and um, people that I would like to be in that, on that board, said people I, I could think, for example, um, not not even on there. As a matter of fact, been kicked out of Congress. <laughs> so we had our we had uh, we so we don't have we didn't vote for them directly, and we got they got the um um uh, indirectly through our vote for Republican or Democrat. That's what, so that's what you get. Thank you, Carla. At this point in time, we're going to take a station break, and when we come back, it's going to be a two-part series of South America and the world from Talazor. We're going to take a station break and we'll come back. We'll make our transition to our theme. This is Africa on the Moon.
There's a difference between revolution and reform. Big difference. In reform, a man observing a foundation, observing a system, sees many problems. But he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system. The foundation of the system for him is a good system. Thus, what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling, couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it. And then I'll come here and say, put a window there. Put a door here. Put a frame here. Put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because this country is full of reformists, black people notwithstanding. And these reformists have a tendency to deceive you to let you believe that things are really being changed when in fact the foundation has not been touched and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes. The more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, this foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt. It must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day -day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus, a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. It has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. Now, revolution is very scientific. There's nothing emotional about it. There's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Toure, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality. There is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me, thus I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation and you see the foundation is rotten and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one, only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles. Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world. 
America notwithstanding. It must come and will come. To re- We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We just listened to Brother Kwame Ture, where he was explaining the difference between revolution and reform. And what we've been given ever since our arrival on the shore has always been reform. They will never volunteer to let you have your freedom. You must struggle and take it. This is Africa on the move, and we advocate that there will never be no peace until man and woman is free. You can have free when one is being oppressed. So let's get back to our to our today's program. Our theme tonight is South America and the world from Telesur. We chose some articles from this particular publication, which came out on the 23rd of March, 2022. And um, this will be a first part of a two-part series. As we discuss various articles, talk about what's going on in South America and the world. And for tonight, we will discuss this article titled, um, Ugandans close campaign before a referendum on neoliberal law, which is really interesting in terms of how the people are fighting back in Uruguay, uh, dealing with they want to maintain those social policies that works for them, that allow them to be living decency. So when we look at this article, we'll start out with you, Brother Haki. Lead us off in terms of the consequences of the importance of what is going on in Uruguay and the people's movement. Brother Haki. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, Uruguay, at least the people in Uruguay, are systematic of people of the world. There's a yearning to be free. Uh, one of the things, you know, in the context of capitalism, when you endure this humiliation for so long, at some point, you know, it wears on you. So it's good to see that the people you agree are getting to a point uh, where uh, these indignities they have to suffer under capitalism is getting to, the, so to a point in which they have they feel like they have no other recourse but to respond to those indignities by actually confronting uh, the government. And now keep in mind, when we talk about South, Central and South America and, the, and we talk about the, the ruthless right wing in Central and South America, uh, these people do run a real risk in terms of death in terms of confronting the, confronting the government. And unfortunately, a lot of these people are funded heavily, you know, by, by the United States in terms of military weaponry. So uh, so the potential of being killed is, is astronomical in those places. So you certainly got to take your heads off to the people in Uruguay in terms of their, their, their vehemence or uh, desire in terms of being free. And, when they, and I got to tell you, when they went to the government, when when they advocated under this so-called uh, act of urgent consideration, these these laws, uh, when they talked about the fact that they wanted a more transparent system when it comes to international trade, one of the things when we talk about setting the price of oil, you talk about parity. Uh, one of the things that the price of oil goes up and goes down, and based upon that the price of oil goes up and down, it's going to determine to a large extent the wealth of, of society. So if the price of oil goes up, that's more wealth, you know, for the country. Where in the case of Uruguay, apparently you got these these these, these right wing group, right wing uh, powerful people in positions of power, uh, who would you know unilaterally set the prices of uh, 
uh, of the fuel fuel oil to make sure you know that they sell. Not necessarily being concerned about the the, the prices that they have impact the broader society. Just concerned about the prices to the extent that they can prosper individually. So it's good that the people of Uruguay understand that this this system has to come to an end. That when that when the price of oil goes up, then there should be a tangible benefit to the masses of the people in Uruguay in terms of having access to to the resources that they need as a result of those price increases when oil goes up. So it's good that the people in Uruguay begin to understand that. Uh, and also this question in terms of right to demonstrate, and as I alluded to before, when we talk about ruthlessness of these Central and South American dictatorships, uh, the, the people of Uruguay in terms of their, their desire to stand up is admirable, and certainly you've got to take your hats off to them because it's not, a easy, it's, it's not a very easy thing to do. And also, you know, um, you know, and with that, the whole question in terms of freedom of movement, which is very, very good, because uh, one of the things, that, one of the things that they do in terms of limiting um, uh, human rights is to to monitor and to control uh, uh, your movement. And so, therefore, everywhere you go, they want to make sure they know where you are. And so, it has a very chilling impact in terms of free speech because if your movement is being monitored, then you're likely to speak out. Because you know that the authorities know where you are at any point in time. And so, therefore, uh, the people of uh, your great position is that even though that is a reality, they're, you know, they're going to confront the government head on and say, listen, we want a situation where we fundamentally have a right to freedom of movement without your people stopping us everywhere to check on our movement. So uh, kudos to the, to the people. And finally, Brother Africa, I, I got to say, you know, um, you know, in terms of the, when we talk about tax evasion and drugs, uh, uh, you know, proliferating throughout you know Central and South America, uh, it, it is a, it is a very is a monumental problem. And certainly, when we talk about the the, the disparity of wealth between the have and have not, much of it has to do in terms of the drug trade, uh, which is financed by the United States government. Uh, so one of the things in terms of getting that who out of actually drug dealers is to monitor their bank accounts. And so what the people are demanding is that some you know that. Uh, of that the, the level set in terms of, um, you know, uh, transactions, uh, the, the level of money that actually uh, 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 is involved in transactions to some sense will determine, you know, the government's ability or government's right to actually follow up in terms of where this money is coming from to crack down on tax evasion and drugs. So even though they set the transaction, the transaction limit at $100,000, you know, uh, that's still be considerable in terms of, as a, as a starting point in terms of being in a position for the government to crack down on drug dealers and, and tax evasion among the wealthy there in Uruguay. So, again, you know, kudos to the uh, people in Uruguay in terms of their, their, their adamant standard they're taking in terms of bringing about a new day, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Haki. Brother Anthony, talk to me. Okay. I think uh, I think they uh, – I think it's uh, – uh, very uh, po- uh, progressive that Uruguayans, in spite of the dangers, are standing up to neoliberal law. Neoliberalism is uh, is uh, is, a, is a special form of neocolonialism, and uh, you know, and uh, people are uh, are standing up against that. And uh, it's happening all over Central and South America. Uh, the people are getting organized, and they're trying to fight uh, for, uh, for 
for their freedom from uh, U.S. domination. And uh, and uh, that at root is what uh, is all neoliberalism is, is domination of uh, the people and the resources of a, uh, of a country by capitalist forces uh, throughout the world. And uh, they're fighting a, a violent fight against that. And uh, is to be encouraged by uh, all revolutionaries everywhere. So, Salonor, the people are getting up and standing up for their rights. Talk to me. Well, Brother Africa, uh, Uruguay is uh, in a bad situation. It's not like Venezuela or other progressive countries. And one of the things I found interesting that if they're fighting for the repeal of these uh, neo-colonialist laws but uh, one of them that uh, some of them adversely hurt the people and they weren't able to repeal them here they are oil producing nation and uh, they have to uh, ask that uh, article 235 uh for instance uh it established the uh regulatory unit for energy services and it must uh uh it must set an import parity price every 60 days and as the article says that has harmed consumers since the international prices have gone up considerably they've increased considerably after the ukrainian russian conflict also in terms of labor organizing um it said that the workers had a right to organize but then it also said that the 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 unorganized workers had a right to cross the picket lines and that management had a right to cross picket lines. Traditionally, management may cross picket lines, but the whole goal when you're trying to organize is to stop your fellow workers from going to work so that you can have an impact on your work environment. The other thing was they uh, mentioned uh, the right for workers to receive wages. That was an important thing. So that was a benefit. But we saw two situations in this article where uh, every 60 days you automatically create a uh, mechanical parity to international energy prices would be very harmful to the economy, uh, to the consumer in uh, in uh, Uruguay. And especially the way we've seen the prices of gasoline artificially go up and everything else in the United States, and we're not importing any fuel from Russia. So we see why uh, the governments of Venezuela and Cuba need to be emulated and that uh, the people of Uruguay are struggling, but uh, neo-colonialism and the dictatorship seems to be holding firm there and that... Uh, uh, maybe in upcoming elections we'll see some real political change. Thank you, Susanna Noah. Brother Moses, talk to me. 
Well, the you know the reform that's what they are. Um, uh, some of them are progressive, some of them aren't. Uh, but uh, the Europe, the people of Uruguay are struggling to to, to uh, get control of their resources and uh, use them in their own interests, and, and uh, that's the real issue. And uh, all these reforms and uh, regulations that have been put on them are, uh, uh, you know, are against their interests. And so, you know, they're struggling to change things. Uh, they need a revolutionary movement, a revolutionary party uh, that that's puts out a clear path of, of a revolution. Uh, that's what's needed. Uh, uh, consciousness, political consciousness. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, the the reformist movement goes on. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Oh Seven Six Three. Any comments from you, based upon what you have heard? I, I agree with the panelists, and I reserve my right to speak until you get on the subject of Ukraine, and then I'll say something. But right now, I agree with the panelists. All right, we thank you. This is Africa on the move. We try to give you what you need and not necessarily what you want. We're going to take a revolutionary break, and when we come back, we're going to have some announcements from the African Awareness Association as well as the AAPRPGC. After announcement, we ask everyone to give us their final thoughts. This is the first part of a two-part series, South America and the world from Kalasur. This is Africa on the Moon. Chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it. My journey 
Bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Back to Africa and move. We'll now move to our closing comments. But before we do that, we have some announcements we would like to make. We will first start with Brother Haki and the African Wellness Association. They take their tour to Cuba. Can you inform our listening audience how they can participate? We'll be going to Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. 
Now, for pre-application forms, please email us at African Awareness Association, one word, number two, at gmail.com. For additional information, please contact us at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435. Or visit our website at www.aaa-cubatours.com. That's www. Dot AAA-CubaTours.com And uh, we encourage you to uh, to come to Come to Cuba Okay Brother Anthony Your announcement Unmuted Yes um, You uh, Let's see uh, Bob Brown has published A new book recently uh, entitled We Demand the Full Disclosure and Digitization of All Slavery Era Records. You can find out more information about this book as well as more information about the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, by visiting our website www.a-aprp-gc.org and uh, you can uh, purchase uh, the book both volumes one and two and um, you can uh, purchase it for yourself or it makes a great gift uh, you know, for someone who's interested in learning more about the history of the oppression of African people uh, during uh, the last five centuries or so. And also, you can learn more information about uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, uh, its history, objective, political line, and program. And uh, once again, uh, please visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And now we're going into our final thoughts for tonight. We start with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Yes, uh, it's been a great, uh, insightful show. Um, I'm glad I was able to participate. Uh, I look forward to the articles um, and reviewing the articles next week. Uh, and um, I um, thank you, Brother Africa, and, and the fellow panelists for putting up with me and allowing me to be on the show. Thank you. And we thank you, Brother Moses, like always. Next, we're going to be our participant for the night. Uh, brother 0673, 0673, your final thoughts for the night. Yes, my final thoughts is when talking about Ukraine, the question of NATO, the National, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization comes up, but they don't talk about the SCO, which is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And both organizations protect its members, like one attack on one is attack on the other one. And nuclear analysts have determined there's nine nuclear nations, and three of them are in NATO, France, 
United Kingdom, and United States. Four of them are in Shanghai Cooperation Organization, SCO. That's China, India, Russia, and Pakistan. So that's seven nations right there. But it's nine nations that has nuclear weapons. So what's new, neutral is Israel. Israel is not in NATO and it's not in Shanghai Cooperation Organization. But it's not really neutral because if they had a choice between the two, they would go side with, the, with NATO. The other neutral one is North Korea. And naturally, North Korea had would join one of them, NATO or NATO NATO or Shanghai Corporation Organization, SCO, most likely Korea would join the other Asian countries along with China, India, Russia, and Pakistan. Why this is important? It's important because on the chessboard, and if Ukraine becomes a a part of NATO, then you can see how that is uh, a security risk for um, Russia. It's just like the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Russia would no longer want, wouldn't want uh, somebody that's a part of NATO right at their back door. It would be the same thing if you were to have um, North Korea and the United States, uh, North Korea became a part of NATO, then the uh, United States and in, in North Korea was in the bed together and you were at, at China's door. They couldn't have that neither. So I think that we need to look this thing again on a, on a more perspective and not just look at NATO, right, but just look at the stronghold with the um, Shanghai Corporation Organization because really they got more people. You got China, you got India, you got Pakistan, and you got Russia. And they got nuclear weapons also. So this 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 thing is a lot more serious than than people think it is. And it's not just NATO that's involved. It's also uh, it, I think it's important to let Africans know how important it is to have alliances. So that's 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 why I, I brought it up because it's important to have alliances. And we we think about the um, European alliance, but we don't think about the Asian alliances. And that's all I have to say about Africa. And your point is where I know where I take it, my brother. We thank you. Next, we go to Brother um, Sister Eleanor. You find the thoughts for tonight. I'd like to. Well, thank you so much, uh, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. And thank you to the analysts and our guests. And I'd like to quote Nelson Mandela. He said, Were it not for Cuba, gratuitous assistance in Angola, South Africa. Angola, South Africa would not have gained its independence. So I'd like to encourage our listening audience to visit Cuba and uh, visit an independent small island nation that despite uh, the embargo and the U.S. failure to provide syringes and respiratory equipment that it invented its, uh, it created its own COVID-19 vaccine and is administering it to citizens in Haiti, uh, Venezuela, and other countries. And I'd like to, uh, the, the brothers just talked about the Shanghai Corporation, but I'd like to call for a complete dismantling of NATO. NATO was designed to defend the United States in particular against the Soviet Union. There has been no Soviet Union for decades. It's time for a complete dismantling of NATO. 
and a disarmament of all nuclear weapons on planet Earth. If we were to have nuclear war, we all will die. We'll all suffer. So with that in mind, we need. I'd like to say thank you so much um, to our listening audience. Uh, think about visiting Cuba. Uh, it is a wonderful nation of independence, and the people are struggling. They're struggling now. 58 years of the U.S. embargo. It's time for the U.S. to back down on this embargo, and we can assist Cuba in this action by encouraging our local elected officials to pass legislation that would uh, defeat the embargo. All right. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. Thank you, fellow analysts and guests and our listening audience. Good night to you all. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Brother Africa, the more I, I look around, you know, stuff seems very surreal. Um, you know, you got this conservative political action committee. You got these very wealthy folks, very conservative folks, uh, who have a perception of the world that doesn't necessarily exist. I had an opportunity to talk to one a couple of days ago, and uh, position his position was that uh, you know people really don't want to work, uh, and I find that extraordinary. When you look at it in the context of the changes, economic changes that have taken place with respect to the war, to the uh, Russia-Ukrainian war, the very ne- de- negative impact it's having on the U.S. economy. When you look in terms of COVID-19, in terms of the loss of over over you know two million jobs, uh, for someone to make a statement that people don't want to work, uh, I, I find it extraordinary. But yet these people live in a world which doesn't really exist, but in their minds. And this stuff gets reinforced. Uh, by having these kind of meetings, these kind of thoughts get reinforced. And so in their minds, this kind of justification in terms of these views that they hold has legitimacy. And it's very, very scary. I don't think people really understand the, the urgency, uh, the very, very real concerns in society. And so when we talk about the potential for dystopia, we talk about a very destructive, very dangerous future, it's not an exaggeration because the thing is that you got people in positions of power who hold these views from humanity or, or reality. And so how do you reason with someone who really believes that people just don't want to work, that people are lazy, that unemployment is a function of people essentially being lazy? No understanding in terms of how capitalism works in terms of the imperative that you have people unemployed because in order to keep profits high, you have to keep the people unemployed. No understanding in terms of, you know, as, you know, as, as as the system continues to give money in the, in the form of tax breaks in terms uh, in terms of uh, investments, to continue to give money to wealthy people, knowing full well that the wealthy people take the same funds, they don't invest them in the economy, they don't invest in society, they put them offshore, they, make, they, create, they, they enhance their own wealth. They're not concerned about the interests of society at large. So given, given that reality, the fact that people on, on the right who don't want to address that stuff who pretend like those kind of concerns are somehow esoteric, that they have no real relevance, that the real problem, the crux of the problem, is that people are just lazy, they don't want to work. How do you argue with something like how do you argue with someone like that who can't who can't confront reality? 
I think it's important that people understand that this situation that we're confronted with uh, in terms of this kind of insanity that permeates among, among the right does have implications for us in the future. And as these people organize, as they teach their children to shoot, shoot rifles and guns, uh, we better understand one thing. We need organization. We need, we, 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 we need these institutions badly. And we have to begin those discussions with, you know, with our neighbors, uh, people in the community, people we know. We have to begin those discussions because we have to innovate these, these necessary structures in terms of surviving the society. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix uh, because, you know, it clearly, you know, without some fundamental understanding in terms of how insane, how inane the society is, uh, then, you know, that's no way conceivable to, uh, to, 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 to get around it. So I encourage people to build those organizations, to build those institutions because they're so key. You haven't said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you do the same, Brother Aki. To our listening audience, to our brothers and sisters in Africa, in Central America, in Europe, in Asia, and throughout the world, remember, without information, you cannot think. And without organization, you cannot think clearly. We're encouraging you to join an organization is fighting for the liberation of your people and the forward progress of humanity. If you find an organization that doesn't represent what you think needs to be done, then you have the responsibility to create one yourself. We must get organized. That's the new dance for this year. We call it Let's Get Organized. Join us. So until next week, we'll continue part two of South America and the world from Tennessee. We'll see you next week, same time, same station. This has been Africa on the Moon. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, her needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Needs her, freedom. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Palestine. Palestine.
Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. What's up? Some That's his real name, say. Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that. Have that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mosaddegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America could stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame when they drop the bombs out of them planes? Using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal. Ain't nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man. Neo-colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, fuck it, I'll do it. A master of the skies, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should have known he was trained in Chicago. Word the chairman Fred and Mark Clark. What they do in the dark will come out in the light. Like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess the crew was right. Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism, I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living. You're gonna send the truth, you're gonna drop the news See it's not where you're from 
living the rack, natural resources ain't yours, it's theirs, give it back. You're just another puppet, but I'm not surprised. Look at Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, they didn't change shit. House niggas fresh off the slave ship, you all burn in hell, even Michelle Abomination. Was getting bomb, Obama didn't say shit. What's the bigger threat from Osama or from Obama? Military bases from Chagos to Okinawa. I say things that other rappers won't say. Cause my mind never closed like Guantanamo Bay. Hope you didn't feel the statue or tattoo your arm. Cause the drones are still flying over Pakistan. Did he defend the war? No. He extended more. Even had the time to attempt to crew in Ecuador. Morales and Chavez. The states are on the hunt for ya. Military now stationed on bases in Colombia. Take a trip to the past and tell them I was right. Ask Ali Abu Neymar and Jeremiah Wright. Jones over Pakistan, Yemen and Libya. Is Obama the bomber getting ready for Syria? First black president, the masses were hungry. But the same president just bombed an African country like... The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? Bum rushing and pushing, snatching and taxing 
up in jail and gotta go. Cause you could do crime and get paid today. And tomorrow you're behind bars in the worst way. Far from your family. Cause you're locked away. Now tell me. Do you really think crime pays? You on taking what your brother has? You little sucker. You talking all that jazz. It's time to stand together in a unity. Cause if not, then you're with soon to be self-destroyed. Unemployed. Z-Rack will be lost without a trace. Or a clue but what to do is stop the violence and kick the science. Down the road that we call eternity. Where knowledge is forming, you learn to be self-sufficient, independent. To teach the East is what rap intended, but society wants to invade. So do not walk this path that they laid it.
the Indians Welcome the pilgrims And to the buffalo Who once ruled a plain Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the cities that stagger on the coastline And a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the healers Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Save your soul Lord knows from winter in America The Constitution A noble piece of paper with free society Struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner Hoping for some rain It's looking like he's a hoping Hoping for some rain And I see the robbers First in barren treetops Watching last its races Marching across the floor But just like the peace behind That vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the hillers have been killed or betrayed yeah but the people know the people know it's winter Lord knows it's winter in America Nobody knows what to say Save your soul From a winter in America
it's a winner Winter in America And all of the hillers Done been killed Sit away Talk to me, so you can see what's going on. 
Apartheid, everybody to fight against the 